Today, we're beginning a brand new series called Uncommon Courage. And we've been talking about this new series. And I not only want to talk with you about courage this morning, but I want to talk with you about the kind of courage that it takes in our culture to really stand up for Jesus. That it takes in our culture to stand up for his word, to really speak his name, to speak his truth. And to not be afraid to stand up and speak up for Jesus. It's hard to counter in our culture. It's hard to, when people try to press their worldviews and opinions on us, to speak up the truth about Jesus, especially in public. But that's not a new problem. 2,000 years ago, John wrote this, John chapter 7, verse 13. No one had the courage to speak favorably about Jesus in public. As we begin this morning, I want to ask that question to you. Is that true about you? Amen. (laughs) Do you have the courage to speak publicly about Jesus? But if you don't, don't beat yourself up about it because we all have the same problem. Even Paul, the great evangelist, Paul, the great church planter, needed encouragement to be courageous about speaking The name of Jesus and what he believed. Look at what the Bible says. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Paul, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Evidently he was thinking about maybe I can't keep speaking the name of Jesus. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Folks, I believe that God is saying the same thing to you and me today. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. You see, most everybody today is talking about what they believe. Some try to force their opinions and worldviews on the Christian church. So why should church, why should Christians be silent? Jesus is saying, if you stand up for me against world opinion, I'll stand up for you before my Father who is in heaven. In other words, Jesus is saying, you stand up for me on earth, church. And I'll stand up for you in heaven. But what if you don't? Look at the next verse. Jesus says, but everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my father in heaven. Wow. Everybody say wow with me. (laughs) Wow. Did you know that was in scripture? Jesus is saying, if you are ashamed of me on earth, If you turn your back on me, you deny me on earth, I'll be ashamed of you. If you don't stand up for me, I don't stand up for you. So to stand courageously for Jesus, for biblical truth, you've got to know what the world is saying is true and what God is saying is true. You've got to know the world's point of view and you've got to know God's point of view. You've got to know the world's worldview, and you've got to know God's worldview. Now, your worldview is the lens through which you view life. It is your beliefs upon which you base your life. So do you view the world through the lens of what God says is true in his written word or not? Do you view the world through the lens of what the world says is true? Everybody's got a worldview. And your worldview influences every choice that you make in life. So here's the problem. You are deeply influenced by the world views of others. 
And if you've grown up in a Christian home, if you've grown up in a church, you've picked up probably most of the worldview from your parents and from your church. But the problem is not everybody has grown up in a Christian home. Not everybody has grown up in a church. And even if you did, you are still influenced by the worldviews of your professors, your teachers, your coaches, your friends. And the problem is most people pick up a little worldview from here and a little worldview from there. And they end up with a really messed up perspective on what is true. What is right? A national survey discovered that 62% of all Americans say that they are deeply spiritual. So they asked those same people how that deep spirituality influenced their decision making. And 31% of Americans says, I make moral choices based on what feels right. Some others said, I make moral choices on what is ever best for my life. Some others said, I make all my moral choices based on what causes the least conflict in my life. But only 16% said, I make moral choices based on what the word of God says. Listen, 88% of all Americans are saying that they believe in Jesus, that they are Christians. 62% of that 88% say, we are deeply spiritual. But only 16% are saying, I make my choices based on the truth of God's written word. That's a problem, amen? That's a problem. What's that mean? It means that most Christians have a non-Christian worldview. That they have not gotten their worldview from God, but from the world. So listen close. If you don't base your decisions upon God's word, upon God's truth, you're going to reap some really devastating results into your life. First of all, your life is going to get really messed up. It's not going to work. It's, it, it's going to have all kinds of unnecessary stress. Because you're operating with a faulty operating system. The world's worldview. And it's going to mess up your life on earth. Second, you're going to miss out on the rewards that God has planned for you. You may get into heaven, but you're going to miss some of the rewards that God has planned for you for all eternity. So as we start this new series on uncommon courage, we have to clarify, are we standing courageously on the word of God, the truths of God? We've got to clarify if our worldview is based on the truth of God or not. Or are you or have you been building what I call a cafeteria-style worldview? Where you pick up a little worldview from your parents and you put it on your plate. And you pick up a little worldview from your, your coach and you put it on your plate. And you pick up some worldview from your parents and, and you put it on your plate. And so you begin to live out that worldview and you've just kind of like gone through the cafeteria and believed a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And you begin to operate your life to the worldviews that you've just picked up and put on your plate and suddenly because your life is not based on God's truth all at once your life gets really messed up and you don't even know why and you say God I was raised in a Christian home God I've gone to church a whole lot God have you left me 
And God has not gone anywhere. He's never left you. He's always been with you. But your life is messed up because you've not lived according to the truth in God's word. Amen? That's when we get messed up. And so today, let's look at the Christian worldview. Let's look at what God says is truth. But before we do that, let's look at four popular anti-Christian worldviews. Write this down. The first anti-Christian worldview is this. What matters most is money. We call that worldview materialism. It's a worldview that says life is all about getting more money and then I can get more things. It's a worldview that says success in life is measured by the amount of money that I have acquired. Meaning in life is measured by the material items I've been able to buy with the money that I have acquired. Materialists have bumper stickers that say, he who dies with the most toys wins. See that one? It's out there. But that's a false worldview because you didn't take, you didn't bring anything into this world with you and you're not going to take anything out of this world with you. Folks, in my lifetime of ministry, I've done hundreds of funerals and I've watched people stuff all kinds of things in the caskets, but it's not going anywhere. Amen? <laughs> It's not leaving this world. You didn't bring anything in. You're not going to take anything out. So is the ultimate goal of your life just to pile up stuff so that you can leave it? No. God says that you are made for more than just the acquisition of things. Jesus says a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Folks, if money is your God, you are what we call a materialist, and you are operating on an anti-Christian worldview. Second anti-Christian worldview is this. What matters most is pleasure. That worldview is called hedonism. It's a worldview that says life is all about pleasure. Life is all about what makes you feel good. Hugh Hefner's made a whole life career and business out of Playboy. That's called hedonism. If what matters most to you is things that give you pleasure, then pleasure is your God. If what matters most to you is food and the pleasure you get from food, you are a hedonist. If what matters most to you is sex and the pleasure you get from sex, you are a hedonist. If what matters most to you is alcohol and the pleasure you get from alcohol, you are a hedonist. When I was growing up, there was a song going around saying, if loving you is wrong, man, I don't want to be right. Anybody remember that song? You're as old as I am? Okay, great. That's all about having pleasure first. It's a hedonistic worldview. In other words, I don't want to do the right thing. I want to do the thing that's going to bring me pleasure. And if it feels good, I'm absolutely going to do it. Hedonistic worldview. But the wisest, wealthiest man, Solomon, wrote this. Are you addicted to thrills? What an empty life. The pursuit of pleasure is never satisfied. This is the guy, even in today's economy, wealthiest person who has ever lived. He could have anything he wanted. He could buy anything he wanted. And still, this guy says, the pursuit of pleasure is never satisfied. The Bible goes on and says, Moses chose to suffer with God's people. Remember Moses? He was raised in Pharaoh's courts. Could have stayed there. Could have had all the wealth and power and prestige, all the pleasure he wanted. But then the Bible says he chose to suffer with God's people to lead them out of Egypt. 
rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Folks, sin is pleasurable. If sin wasn't fun, nobody would do it. Amen? (laughs) Nobody would do it. In fact, the Bible even says that sin is fun for a season. Is it fun to eat something that's absolutely bad for you? Amen. Yeah. I love cheese. Love frappuccinos. Is it absolutely fun to, to do all kinds of things that bring you pleasure? Absolutely. But things that, a lot of things that are pleasurable are not good for you, and some are sinful. And those pleasures only last a short time. Have you learned that? Once you swallow that thing and it gets past your taste buds, once you swallow, the pleasure's gone. After every high you get comes a low. After you drink up, you hang over. (laughs) Amen? (laughs) The cost of sin is far greater than the pleasures of sin. And if you continue in that sin, the cost could be your own soul. Or it could be a broken down body. Or it could be a messed up mind, a hurting heart. It could be a ruined relationship. There's always a cost to sinful pleasures. The Bible says, look at this. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful desires. We're talking about hedonism here. Will harvest the consequences of decay and death. Anybody want to sign up for that? But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. The Bible says, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. And some of you say, oh, come on, Pastor, but but girls just want to have fun, amen? Yeah, girls just want to have fun. Well, there's nothing wrong with fun. Just don't follow the crowd in doing wrong. It's called hedonism. Where pleasure is your God. The third anti-Christian worldview is this. What matters most is me. And that's called individualism. And that's a worldview that says life is all about me. It's all about what I want. In materialism, money's God. In hedonism, pleasure is God. In individualism, you are God. You look out just for you. You are number one. You are the first. You are the most important person. And folks, we live in a culture that's all about us. Amen? It's all about us. When you go to purchase a phone, you purchase what? An iPhone. (laughs) And then you're not happy with just that, so you get the iPad. And then you go for the iPod. And then you open up your YouTube, and you watch videos, and they're all about who? Who are they featuring? You. (laughs) You go on to Facebook. It's all pictures about you. Our culture is all about us. But listen, God didn't create you to live for just little old you. This worldview says if you're married and your spouse begins to hinder your career, bye-bye spouse. Because it's all about you and your career and your advancement and and what you want to achieve in life. Bye-bye, you're not good for me anymore. If you're living with a parent, maybe an elderly parent, that's kind of cramping your style, and all at once, if it's all about you, you say, bye-bye, parent. You're not going to see me anymore. They're cramping your style because it's all about you. But the Bible says it's selfish and it's stupid to think only of yourself. You see, God the Father didn't send Jesus just to save us from our sins, but to model how to live. 
And the Bible says this, each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. The Bible goes on to say, for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Folks, it ticks God off. When he watches us, his people, try to live in a self-centered way. Because God is love. And God, whose love is never selfish, and he's constantly pouring out his unselfish love to you and me, day after day, moment by moment. And he's not being selfish with his love. And so he doesn't want his people who are filled with him to be selfish with their love. He wants us to give that love out to other people. He wants you to not be self-focused. He wants you to be others-focused. It's not just all about you. It's not all about me. God says, I am love, and I want you to spread that love. Amen? And then the fourth anti-Christian worldview is this. What matters most is government, and we call that socialism. And it's a worldview that says life is all about government. Government should be in charge of every single thing. Government is God. Now, there's nothing wrong with the institution of government. In fact, it was invented by God. God created three institutions, the family, the church, and the government. So it's God created. But here's what I've learned. People who don't know God want the government to be God. Because they don't have any higher authority to look to for their needs to be met. They're not looking to God. So they want the government to be the highest authority. And they want the government to meet their needs. But what's the purpose of government? Well, the Bible tells us the purpose of government is to protect freedom, to ensure justice, and to preserve peace. But if you don't know God, then you want the government to do everything else too. Jesus says this, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. So what are you to give to Caesar? What are you to give to the government? Your respect, your taxes, obedience to its laws. And as responsible Christian citizens, we're to do our part to help our government protect freedom, ensure justice, and preserve peace. But what do you give to God? Your whole life. Amen? God thought you up. God created you. God has loved you. God has watched over you. He's given his son for the forgiveness of your sins so that he can live with you for all eternity. You owe your life to God, not to the government. So you are to give both the government some respect and some obedience and all of that, but you're to also give your whole life to God. And why is that? It's because you now have a dual citizenship. Take a look at what the scripture says. The Bible says our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So here and now, you are a citizen of the United States of America. And if you have Jesus in your heart as your Savior and Lord, you are also a citizen of heaven. You have a dual citizenship. And you have a greater loyalty to God than you do your government. That's the way it should be. And don't misunderstand me. I love America. 
I love my country. Every time I go on a missions trip and I step back over the the border into the United States of America, I am so happy. (laughs) I love my country. I am committed to my country, but my greater allegiance is to my God. Amen? Amen? I have a dual citizenship. My commitment to America is way high, but my commitment to God is even higher. Amen? If you ever see a bumper sticker that says, my country, right or wrong, that's putting your country in first place over God. Now, there are lots of examples in the Bible where Christians run up against the worldview that government is God. And many Christians in days past had to choose between God and government. There was a time when the Jerusalem City Council said, you guys cannot speak the name of Jesus ever again. You can't teach in his name. You can't speak his name. And I've heard that same thing from the Yorba Linden City Council. They want us pastors to come pray for the city council meetings, and we love to do that. We, we go do that. But we were told we can't pray in the name of Jesus. And guess what I do when I go? I pray in the name of Jesus. The Bible says, they were talking to these disciples. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Then Peter and other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. They chose to follow God, their highest authority, not their government. And that's what we need to do as well. Now, what do these four anti-Christian worldviews do to our, to our lives and to our culture? Where money is God and pleasure is God and me is God and government is God. What's the result? What's the damage that's taking place because of these worldviews? I want to summarize it this way. We have the crumbling of our culture. And folks, it is crumbling. We have crisis in our schools. We have controversies in our courts. We have corruption in our business. We have chaos in our government. We have carnality in our churches. We have confusion in our families. And we have conflicts in our personal lives. Folks, anytime we don't live by the owner's manual, we're the ones who get hurt. When we don't live by the truth of God, we're the ones who get hurt. Now, for the rest of this message, I want to share with you the unpopular Christian worldviews. We've been talking about the anti-Christian worldviews, but I want to share some unpopular Christian worldviews. And today I want to mention just three of the most controversial parts of the Christian worldview in our culture today. Because these are the three parts that you need to stand up for and speak up for. And it's going to take uncommon courage to do it. Now, there are lots of things in the Christian worldview that our culture doesn't have a problem with. When the Bible says, help the poor, care for the sick, the widows, the orphans, tell the truth, be fair in business, respect everybody, love others, do a good job managing creation. Nobody... In our world disagrees with any of those things in our Christian worldview. Nobody. But there are three parts of the Christian worldview that are absolutely hated by our culture. And most Christians don't have the courage to stand up for these worldviews because they are so controversial in our culture. And I'm not talking, please understand, I'm not talking about getting crazy, grabbing a picket sign, marching and yelling. That's not what I'm talking about today. But when God gives you the opportunity with the love of Jesus Christ, you stand up and lovingly and, and with all the compassion of Christ, you speak the truth of God. Amen? As God leads you. Here's the first area that's so controversial, the sanctity of life. This is a Christian worldview that says God has a purpose for every unborn baby, every unborn child. 
And the Bible says that before God created the universe, he thought of you, he thought of every person who would ever be born, including you, before he created anything else. So I want to say to you this morning, there are accidental parents, but there are no accidental babies. There are illegitimate parents, but there are no illegitimate babies. Maybe parents didn't plan you, but God planned you. God is bigger than human mistakes. God is bigger than human sin. God had a plan and a purpose for you before everything was created. And all of God's people said, amen. Listen to this. The Bible says, you, Lord, made all the delicate inner parts of my body. In other words, you're no accident. God was involved. And, Lord, you knit me together in my mother's womb. God was involved in that process. He was designing. He was creating. Your workmanship, God, is marvelous. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. In the dark of the womb, God was watching you even then. You saw me before I was born. You plan every day was every planned day of my life was recorded in your book, and every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Friends, it is not just a fetus. It is a God planned, God developed. God watched, God supervised person for whom God has a plan. And in the Bible, it says that we are to speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves. And those who can't speak up for themselves are the unborn. Those 70 million Americans who would be here with us today if they hadn't been aborted. God says we are to be courageous and speak up for the sanctity of life. Folks, as a Christian, I believe every life is sacred. And it doesn't matter if a person has a mental illness. It doesn't matter if a person has a a physical challenge. It doesn't matter if an elderly senior citizen now can no longer walk or if that person can no longer remember or if that person is now on a feeding tube. Every life is sacred. And that's not a popular worldview in our culture, but it's the truth of God's word. And God's people said, come on, help me out. Amen. That's God's truth. The second area of sanctity is this, the sanctity of sex. The Christian worldview says that sex is only for those who are married. Now, you may not like that worldview, but it's in the owner's manual. It's in God's book. And let's just remember who thought up sex. It was God's idea. What a God. Amen. Men, men, amen. What a God. Man, he thought it up. Now, God could have made sex to be no more than just a reproductive process. But God included pleasure in the act of sex. And it was a good one. And God created it to also bond a husband and wife together. And when a man and woman have sex, it releases oxytocin in both of them. And that is the bonding chemical that binds a husband and wife together. It builds an emotional commitment. It is a bonding agent created by God. And so that is why there's no such thing as casual sex. Because when you have sex outside of marriage, it releases oxytocin in you, which is this bonding element. 
So whether or not you wanted to have a bonding with your partner or not, you've now got a bonding. And that's why people get hurt. Because it's not just a physical act. It's a bonding. It's emotional and it's spiritual as well as physical. Folks, sex is not wrong. Sex is holy. The sanctity of sex is that God designed it for the creation of all of us and for the bonding of a husband and a wife, but also to be an example of a faithful union between his people and Jesus, his church. It's not just physical. The Bible says this, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. This is not popular in our culture, but I want to be clear. God's view on sex has never changed. Those who are sexually immoral will be judged by God. His truth has never changed. The world has changed and gone all over the map, but God's hasn't. God's view on sex is this. Premarital sex is unacceptable and sinful in the sight of God. It always has been and it always will be. Adultery is unacceptable and sinful. Pornography is unacceptable and sinful. Same sex, sex is unacceptable and sinful in God's sight. It always has been. It always will be. Sex is a big issue to God. And by the way, there is no such thing as safe sex. Because they don't make a condom for a broken heart. And when you don't treat sex according to the word of God, a bonding takes place and there will always be left a broken and a crushed heart in the wake. Listen close. Hearts are broken day after day after day because of an unrealistic worldview not based on God's word. The third area is the sanctity of marriage. This is a worldview that says it is from one man and one woman for life. That is God's design. Have you noticed he even made the body parts to fit perfectly together? One man, one woman for life. And they have a purpose in fitting together. It is God's design. Jesus says it this way. From the beginning, the creator made male and female. This is the reason a man is to leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two become one flesh, physically, spiritually, emotionally. They are no longer two, but now they're one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. The Christian worldviews of the sanctity of life and sex and marriage are non-negotiable. As a Christian, you need to have the courage to stand up for God's truth about these three things that are so clearly defined in God's word. No question about them. They are clear. They are non-negotiable. So how do we begin to stir up the courage to stand up? And when God leads us to lovingly speak up about the truth in our culture, for these Christian worldviews that are so unpopular in our culture, As I close, here are two ways that you can gain courage for the truth. First of all, accept God's word as your authority. The question is, have you done that yet? Have you made the word of God 
your authority for what's right and what's wrong, for what's true. Accept God's word as your authority. It is the only source that will never lie to you. It is the only source that never changes. It always tells you the truth, and its truth never changes. Its truth, the Bible says, will set you free. It will free you. It will protect you. Will you make it your authority? The Bible says God has given us both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can take new courage, for we hold on to his promise with confidence. Folks, make not the world, but the word of God your authority. Amen? Make that your authority. And when you do, the less you're going to be intimidated by the opinions and the worldviews that are trying to be forced upon you. The Bible says this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and could see that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Here were a couple of fishermen, no degrees, but when they began to stand up and speak up for Jesus Christ, all those schooled men, Sadducees, Pharisees, great-degreed people, they took note of these ordinary men because they weren't speaking like ordinary men. And the only reason they could figure out that they could know what they knew and say what they could say was that they had been with Jesus. Listen, folks, when you spend personal time with Jesus, you've got nothing to fear, nothing to fear. Spend time with him. The more time you spend with him, the more courage is going to be in you. There's a Bible in the verse that I love in Isaiah, and it says that we can ask for the shadow of God's hand to come upon us, and we can ask for his words to be put in our mouth. And I do that all the time, and God is so faithful to cover me with the shadow of his hand and put his words in my mouth. When the time comes and God is urging you to stand up and speak up with the love and compassion of Christ. You can stand up and you can open your mouth and you're going to find God putting his words in your mouth. You're going to find God putting his courage into your heart. You're going to find God meeting you in a supernatural way so that you can stand up and speak up for the truth. The Bible says this, and after they had prayed, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke God's word without fear. That's what I'm talking about, folks. You can stand up and speak up for Jesus and his truth without fear. God will be there with you. So standing courageously for the truth of God's word, going against the tide of the the culture is not easy to do. But as you do it, God is going to reward you now and reward you in heaven. And the rewards are enormous. But beyond that, just think about all the people that you might point to Jesus. That you might pull out of a wrong worldview. That you might pull in to the truth as you stand up and you speak up. The Bible says, do not lose your courage because it brings a great reward. Folks, God's reward for standing up and speaking up is greater than any disapproval that may come your way. He has a reward for you that is going to be unbelievable. So I want to close this morning by simply saying this. Take hold of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Stand courageously for the truth of Jesus.
Let the truth of Jesus roll off your lips. Let's pray. As we begin this series, as we bow before God right now, I just encourage you to pray this prayer in your heart as I pray it. And would you make a commitment to really align yourself with his truth? Father, I choose today to stand for your truth. I choose to reject what is wrong. I choose to stand for what's right. Help me to align my worldview with your word. Father, when we talk about things like this, it's easy to get lost. We talk about worldviews and it's easy to get lost. But Father, help us to just kind of boil it down to this fact. If it doesn't say it in your word, we're not going to speak it. If it doesn't appear in your word, we're not going to live it. Lord, if you say it, we will speak it. We will live it. Your truth is our authority. Lord, bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen.